I think nowadays poor leaders get exposed very quickly because, you know, what do they say? People leave leaders rather than the business. And I think that's probably a symptom sometimes that you would see that. So, and we all know today trying to attract and retain talent is is key to is key to any business, you know. Welcome to Owning Your Legacy. I'm your host, Lorette Rondonet. This podcast is about exploring just what it means to own your legacy. Through intimate conversations, we explore how to bravely tap into purpose, leadership, and becoming visible. My hope is that we inspire you to realize your own potential. Go after your dreams and boldly leave your mark. It all begins with bravely owning your legacy. So hi, Oliver. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you joining me on Owning Your Legacy. And let's get started with, um, I'd really like to hear your story and your background. Thank you, Lorette. Um, I do appreciate the invite. Um, look, um, I joined Kerry Group as a graduate in 1991. I had a degree in agriculture, um, worked for a few years in Ireland in our dairy business. And then in, in, we had a meat business, that time a meat processing business. It was a much smaller part of the organization. Mm. Um, I went to the UK in probably 1994, um, started to manage key accounts over there, um, Marks and Spencer, Tesco, Sainsbury's, the big retailers at the time, um, spent 15 years in the UK. Um, after a few years in the meat division, we decided to exit it. It wasn't for Kerry as a business. So we, uh, we actually, we found the meat ingredients business much better mm-hmm. and then meat processing. So we decided to exit it. And then I went into the bakery business and um, bakery ingredients. We had just acquired DCA, which obviously was a North American business, but had a, a European business, but predominantly a UK business. Um, so I spent a few years there and then we acquired Shade Foods in North America in 2000. Um, and they obviously had a European business as well. And we put some businesses together and came up with their sweet ingredients business, um, spent eight years at that. And in 2008, we actually started what we called One Kerry, where we brought everything together. Um, here in North America, we built Belight and we brought all of our DNA and applications together. Um, we started a similar journey in Europe um, and put a center there as well. Um, probably 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we, we, um, I, I came back to, um, to Ireland in 2008 and took on, um, our global accounts business. So dealing with all the, the, the global accounts. I also, uh, took on food service as well at that time, the food service business. And I spent a good few years on global accounts and food service, building a team, um, growing our business. And then in 2018, I was asked to come to North America um, to take on the food service business and our direct retail business, um, which was quite a big part of North America's business at the time. Um, I didn't think, honestly, I would uh, I would move again, but I'm happy I did. And my, my wife is happy. She did as well. Uh, we enjoy North America a lot. And look, in 20, probably in 2022, um, I was asked to take on the North American CEO and president role. So I've been in that role probably over the last uh, 18 months um, and it's been it's been quite a journey if you take COVID into consideration and then stepping up into that role with all the dynamics out there which I know you're you're very used of yourself mm-hmm. having your own business. Congratulations so, that's a big role. Thank you. So you've worked under many different leaders in the years that you've been at Cary and I'd love you to talk a little bit about 
the difference, you know, the difference in culture even of different leadership and, you know, some of the cultures that aligned with your values, maybe some that, you know, you found it harder or more difficult, but kind of talk about just the that journey. All of the leaders have been pretty inspirational that I've worked for. I've been very fortunate. The other thing that I think has happened is, you know, if I was due to move in a role, those leaders weren't selfish. They would let me move on, even though maybe I was in a, an important role working for them. They believed in letting you develop and exactly, grow. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's been a kind of a an ingredient to of Kerry's success. The graduate program, you know, giving people exposure very quickly, very fast under good leaders, allowing them to grow. Um, you know, mobility was a big part of it. So expo exposure to different regions um, and different geographies and different types of businesses. So moving across different types of businesses um, over your, your, your tenure. Um, and I always felt that was very consistent across mm -hmm. all leaders. And I was very fortunate. Um, and then roll on a few years. I was in that same position myself with very good people that said, well, I'd like that person to stay another two years. They're not fully developed, but you gotta, you gotta do what's best for them as well. And, mm -hmm. you know, so you have to, you know, you, what you wouldn't like is somebody not having that conversation with you. And if right. they were talking kind of, you know, um, and there was an opportunity, yeah, but you've also got to make sure that you, you know, people can, you know, um, be successful when they move on, that they do have enough to, to, um, that it's a kind of a calculated, let's say calculated risk rather than a, a risk that you give them the skills to be successful and you set them up for success when they go in and maybe make sure they're going to an environment where they do get that mentorship and leadership that they were used to, um, and, and the skills to succeed. Mm -hmm. But look, you know, there's been lots of, we've all had lots of very good leaders and we've all had lots of people who maybe didn't lead as well as they could. I've been very fortunate that I've had mm. lots of very good leaders. And um, sometimes you learn just as much almost, you know, from some leaders that you're like, that's not exactly how I would want to lead. And it teaches you what you want to bring I, to the role. I, I fully agree um, where you say, I wouldn't do it that way. I yeah. do it this way. Right. And uh, I think that's always a learning as well. And, and I think that I think that's if you can get that learning out of it as well, it mm -hmm. works for you. Um, but no, over over, you know, I would say over the main, it's uh, it's been a, a positive experience with some with some very good leaders. And I think nowadays poor leaders get exposed very quickly. True. Because, you know, what do they say? People leave leaders rather than the business. Yes. And I think that's probably a symptom sometimes that you would see that. So and we all know today trying to attract and retain talent is is key to is key to any business, you know. So what's the leadership style that you try to achieve or culture or what's most important yeah, to you? Yeah, I think the first thing is um, teamwork. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm big believers in in being a team. I played a lot of sports when I was younger and you can achieve a lot as a team. Um, we've all seen the individuals, very high contributors, but they need to fit into a team as well. So I, I I'm always a big believer in in teamwork. Um, the other thing I believe in a lot of it is empowerment, empowering people to to make the decisions um, and lead and get on with get on with the business day to day. I'm I'm not a micromanager. I I don't believe that's the the right way to manage. I know some people think it is, but I'm not. And you know I haven't been micromanaged myself over my career. Um, and I believe it's healthy then to to check in with people and 
make sure they feel you're there to support them. You're fully behind them. You're fully behind them and their teams. You're encouraging them to succeed. Um, I think that's, and you have their back. I think that's, that's very important. That's kind of, that's kind of my style. Yeah. Trust and giving younger people opportunities or people you feel, you know, getting to step up and challenge themselves a little bit. Some people maybe are get into a comfort zone and getting them out of the comfort zone. So it is, yeah, that's, that's kind of, and also maybe trying to be uncomfortable with people that have different skill sets to you because today in our company, we need different skill sets all the time. Um, and, uh, you know, you have to be very comfortable with people coming in, challenging you. You might necessarily know all the detail, mm -hmm. but they know the detail. So you've got to right. accept that and make the decisions around that. And use the people that are closest to the problem. I'm a firm believer of that. You know, they know they know what the problems are. Absolutely. So do you have any tips or tricks on how you create teamwork or inclusive? I know you talk a lot about inclusive as well and really creating um, an inclusive yeah. environment. So anything that you would share with our listeners that you feel like is a really good... Maybe, maybe there's a couple of things. I, I, I try to be openly transparent. You know, I, I, I probably sometimes tell too much, but I feel that if people feel you're trusting them to tell them what's going on and what, you know... Um, then I think they do respond very well. So I think that's one thing I would be a bit openly transparent with people as to maybe what what's the real issue. I can be a bit direct as well, and rather than you know beating around the bush and you know coming to something, I, I might candor. Get there. Candor I, is good. I might get there very quickly. <laughs> they say that's kind, quite frankly. And yeah. Sometimes I have a challenge with that, but it, yeah, that's and, and good. Look, I've seen it work very much for the company by by doing that because people then suddenly find where their level is or they realize okay well i gotta i gotta do this or do that mm -hmm. um the other thing i would say is from a recruitment perspective if you make sure you have the right pool of candidates always give it to the right candidate i think mm -hmm. then you'll end up with you'll move your numbers on diversity quicker than you think i mm -hmm. do believe but you have to have the right number of individuals and uh, the right genders, et cetera, you know, going for the role. And then it happens organically. It happens organically. I totally that. agree. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think we, we talk about authentic belonging at Long, which is kind of along the lines of inclusive and really letting people be who they are and shine at what they're good at. But yeah, as far as diversity goes, it's, it's better when it's organic, I think. Okay, let's switch over and talk a little bit about exactly what you were touching on there of attracting and retaining talent. And especially with, well, we, you know, we, we know there's, it's really hard to find people right now that the unemployment rate is incredibly low and just finding that talent is hard. So talk about the challenges and what you guys do to try to overcome some of that. Yeah, I'd say we're no different to anybody uh, in any business today trying to attract talent. Um, again, it's back to, we're probably trying to bring in more specialists than generalists in a lot of cases, I would say. You know, some as a company, I'd say we would have had generalists did well in a certain part of our growth mm -hmm. um, journey. But I think now with the way we we've kind of diversified our diversified our portfolio, we probably need more specialists. You know, whether it's in taste or proactive health or food waste or whatever. The people we want are not sitting at home waiting for a phone call. Mm -hmm. That's the reality. They're they're working they're part of it they're on a career trajectory with another company so we do use headhunters maybe try to special get specialist headhunters we we have our own talent acquisition team 
Um, we also, I like to use word of mouth because I think, you know, you can get people who vet people very quickly. Um, but you have to be, one thing you have to do is you've got to be very clear when you're meeting the candidate what the role is. I mean, there can be no real ambiguity. It's got to be what, what the role is, what your expectations are, what good looks like in the role for them, and then what the career journey is from there on in because you're trying to attract them and sell the company to them and take them away from where they are today. So I think, totally you know, it, you've got to be very concise. Um, and there is an element where I, I, I see it now where, you know, the pendulum has switched a little bit. You used to interview people. They nearly interview now, you now. Yep. So you have to allow for that part of it that instead of the 10 minute for questions, it might be, I'm going to give you half an hour. <laughs> yes. And I think that your background in sales probably is hugely beneficial in in getting that talent and and, and selling them. Because I, I agree with you, it's it's different now. You have to... It's useful. So talk a little bit more about, you know, what is it that we as companies can do to really look attractive to these, you know, this top talent that we're trying to pry away from sometimes our competitors or sometimes other industries, but, you know, the food industry is so small. So we're usually definitely playing with the same pool of talent, aren't we? But but what can we do to be the one that wins them over? Yeah, I think it's about how you're going to be different from where they are today. I think a lot of the the younger generation want to see a purpose. So they want to join a company with purpose. Uh, we did a lot of work on our purpose three to four years ago. Um, and what is yours? Our purpose is inspire food, nourish life. I love that. So, you know, and we regularly, that that came from, I would say, all 21,000 employees that we, 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 we have. Um, That's a lot had, of employees. Had a say in, had a say in. And those are hard. Companies. Yeah. To come up with purpose is very hard. Ours is to enrich the lives of those we touch. And it's, it's old. It's been around for Ed Long and for a while. And it still fits, though. It's yeah. so nice when you get the one that you're like, this fits, fits internally, externally. And then obviously, you know, any programs you're doing from a sustainability perspective are very important. What you're giving back to the community. Um, I think, you know, engagement is very important. You know, communication, transparency of communication, um, you know, how you engage with, with your employees. Is there anything you do from a teamwork or from like a fun perspective, like even silly games or like, is there anything that you do to kind of get, especially with that many employees around the world? I mean, yeah, trying to get them I, all connected we kind must of, be crazy. We kind of leave, leave it to the sites individually where we have a lot of, you know, our, our manufacturing base. Uh, we empower the sites to do something um, themselves. So they, there is a lot of goes on there. I mean, last year we celebrated our 50th anniversary. So, Globally, every site did something, and it was great to see the roll-up every day of the different activities. Look at what you guys have accomplished in 50 years. It's kind yeah, of a baby, really. It has, to be fair. Yeah, um, it is. Unbelievable. You have to credit the earlier generation for... Um, vision. The vision, and mm. uh, let's say the vision, and they calculated um, in terms of the, the, the acquisitions. And, yeah, and, and, and I guess even coming to North America was, was quite a big step for Kerry that time. Um, they kind of went let's say west instead of instead of east at the time and i think it's paid off hugely and um you know because uh look 
you know, the, a lot of successful acquisitions there that have been the bedrock of the growth for the company um, today. But And we still have a lot of those characters that are still around and we see regularly. So uh, it was great to, to see them all back at the 50th celebration we had last Christmas back in Kerry in various events. But but yeah, look, we do try and, and do a lot of that. We try to be relevant to our communities, give something back all mm-hmm. the time. Um, you know, again, we're up against the labour challenges that anybody else is. So trying to make your side part of the community mm-hmm. uh, to attract the talent that they're coming in is more of a proposition for the employee than just the paycheck, right. uh, which is very important. Um, but But just that, you know, that they feel part of a community and Maybe their families feel part of it as well. They're part of a sports team that we sponsor or whatever, you know, that's important. So kind of thinking about the millennials and the Gen Zs, what do you, what do you look for in terms of determining if, um, if they're a good fit for Carrie? We're fortunate to have a 28 year old and 24 year old at home. Mm -hmm. So a boy and girl. So the reality is that, you learn a lot about their behaviors very quickly. Absolutely. Um, so you can kind of see some of the behaviors. Look, you're looking for sometimes even simple things like what was your school job? I love that. That's you know? important. So you can kind of see where, you know, what kind of work ethic is there, what they Service aspire to. Service that they know yeah. how to serve. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. And uh, that they could get up out of bed in the morning to be do a paper round at 6 a.m. or something like that. that and I think even your comment about sports, you know, I played basketball in high school, absolutely not like a great athlete or anything, but, but you learned so much even just playing in high school about team. And I've often said, so my, my one, I've got a bunch of, in that age group too, but my 27-year-old played Division One football. And I always tell him, you don't see that on a resume very often, if ever. It's... And that work ethic is insane, what they go through. So I agree, like looking at, at the, you can train or teach a lot of the other stuff, but that work ethic is, it's either there or not. And I was reading an article, getting ready for our little chat, um, that was so interesting around this generation had all their play dates scheduled and they really didn't have any time to just go outside and play like we did when we were little. And I would be like, you know, get out of the house, we'll see you at dusk when the lights come on. And they were so no freedom to explore. And how do you how do you think that affects this generation now in the workplace? I think COVID really brought it home to yes. me because you know young people need mentorship, advice, guidance, the corridor conversations, the lunch, breakfast, the cups of coffee. Um, when that environment wasn't there for them, mm-hmm. I would say. You know, some of them probably got into bad habits and weren't learning as quick as they should or as fast as they should. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also important they have good you have good leadership um, because there's nothing as bad as somebody probably sitting under a poor leader for four or five years and they don't learn right. as much. So, you know, those ages are very impressionable. So I think it's very important. And we have a graduate program, so we do. We're fortunate that we think out the moves over kind of two years. It's a very intentional program to develop talent and bring it through the organization very, very quickly expose, expose you to um, different functions, different. How do you get in the project? Are you chosen to get in the program? It's a, yeah, you go through um, um, an interview process. We now use an external firm to screen a lot of them first. I mightn't have got in if that external firm was around (laughs) that time. (laughs) I'm sure you would have. (laughs) So, um, 
Yeah, and then look, uh, even some of, yeah, some of the executives would even do some of the interviews as well. But you kind of, um, I, I'm, I'm strongly getting behind it um, this year um, as well and getting the executive team behind it. We're bringing in, I think we've 34 in North America um, and we've allocated them out to, you know, ops roles, supply chain roles, marketing, or DNA, even sales. Do they get to take a break from their current role to do this, to cross-train? Or they do, they do. Well, actually, there's kind of a career path. So somebody coming into sales might spend time in um, customer or, care. Okay. Maybe then go into marketing and then maybe go into sales or they might come into sales and work as a sales support, supporting maybe salespeople that are out on the road um, and liaise with them but then get exposure to the customer maybe within six to 12 months, you okay. know, and then over time be part of a team. And um, so. But it, the, as far as the graduate program goes, it's a lot of seeing all different aspects of the business. Yeah, it would be. And then maybe manufacturing sites, we might put some finance people in to be operational finance people on a manufacturing site. Oh, that must be hysterical. Go down on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> I love uh, that. And, uh, you know, people maybe pr become production managers. Might or put the finance the people out in sales. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm not sure that would work. Um, might be dangerous. Yeah. They're experts at times to tell salespeople how to sell, but, yeah. um, but look, we love them to bits. But yeah, no, it's, 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 great, it's great exposure. Are you the first non-accountant president of Kerry in history or, um, or has there been if others? I, if, I, if I go back, maybe Finbar O'Driscoll yeah. was probably. Yeah. Um, you you probably knew Finbar I back did. many years ago, but uh, I actually only spoke to him on Friday. Um, he rang somebody I was with, so that will tell you. But yeah, no, I think he he was probably uh, he was probably the first the first one mm -hmm, to um, break the mold. Broke, that broke the mold. Yeah. Um, and then obviously there's I don't think there's been uh, Kevin Lane probably. Yes. Um, yeah. Good friend. Back, yeah. Yeah, definitely true salesman at heart. So, what has been your greatest leadership challenge? There are various challenges you get along your career that help set yourself up for later challenges. Mm. When, when I took the business unit uh, role for Sweet Ingredients back in 2000, we had three different sites operating differently that needed to be pulled together to, to form a business. Uh, we, you know, there wasn't really a clear strategy. We had two or three customers that were the big part of it. So you got to, there was no team. So we had to, we had, I had to start and, and build a team, you know, put somebody in the finance role, put somebody in the marketing role, build even customer care uh, to form the business unit. So I'd say that Scratch. was a challenge for so. a while. Then you had to decide in the portfolio, you know, the resources. Um, but there was great support and help for me to do that and encouragement for me to do that. And then there was an acquisition that came at the time and... Um, the company had three partners who were used to doing their own thing. Um, so used to assigning their own CapEx forms, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I remember the, the first day I took over, I got a phone call from one of them. He wanted to buy a bus. A bus. To bus people to work. <laughs> and I said, well, it's I better don't than a plane. Think, oh, well, it's only going to cost £5,000. And I said, look, we're not going to do that. And I had to talk him out of it. <laughs> um, so I had to manage a lot of different characters. Um, and, uh, you know, get them thinking the way we, we wanted to think and mm. the purpose of why we made that acquisition and the significance of it. And, you know, then we had to focus on a new set of customers. We had a new portfolio. We were good at certain 
we were good at manufacturing certain ingredients and not good at others. And you had to go through the portfolio and say, we're better at this. We're not good at this. Let's stop doing this. It's not going to make a lot of money for us. This is. And then you had to give put a kind of a plan together for the three to five years of that business. So that was a that was a big challenge and mm-hmm. it took a lot of time, energy, effort. Um, but it was a great journey personally for me. And then I'd say for a lot of individuals in Kerry came out of that business unit too and, and, and did well over time. Um, and look, coming over here, you know, was a challenge. You were in a different, you were in a different country. Um, we didn't, I didn't know a lot of the customers. Um, I had to try and get to meet customers very quickly. Um, I had a team and I didn't know, you know, the, the quality of the team and capability of the team. It's very hard to do that without spending time with them all. And it was a big team. Um, so I think that was probably one of the, one of the, 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 probably the second biggest challenge. Um, and look, then, you know, you had, you had COVID coming and obviously that was a, a big challenge for everybody. I think everybody was thrown into that, no matter how experienced or inexperienced you were. We had heard COVID because we've quite a big business in China. Yeah. So we had... You were ahead of it. Yeah. The rumblings were there. And then they did a great job, our um, integrated operations team, in keeping our colleagues in China safe and had a lot of... Had done a lot of work really quickly that we could deploy very quickly over here Mm. and deploy in in Europe and, and in Latam as well. So... We were very fortunate, I guess, from that perspective that we could do that um, because they had done yeah. that in China. But yeah, look, it was a uh, it was it was tough. Even it personally. was bonding though. Uh, personally, it was ridiculously mm-hmm. tough. And having my one son has learning disabilities, so the whole eight that school thing, like his yeah. light was just going out. It was horrible. And then the teachers would just yell at me, "You're not, you know." I'm like, I can't sit next to him and teach all day. That's like not my strength by any stretch, nor do I have the time. But yeah, I think, and I'm just absolutely proud of how our team handled it. And then even in Chicago, I loved, there was a couple of us flavor companies that just, you know, grouped together and said, if you ever, you know, we all knew that, you know, a whole team of operations people could be down, you know, because they're kind of in close quarters and supporting each other. Never really had to do too much of it, thank God. But it was just so nice to know that people were there and willing to help. And It was I'd say it was exemplary how the food industry and beverage industry got together and Agree. kept everybody safe. and Even to supply chain, you know, yeah, people, competitors chain. would call each other. Do you have any? Do you have any? And like Keep everyone them. was willing to help each other and, and stay alive. Yeah, it was, it's going to be interesting to see all the movies and books and everything written about. They'll, they'll come eventually. Yeah. So Oliver, let me know what you learned or how you guys pivoted during COVID. Yeah. So just going back to maybe what you said earlier, Lorette, I think. Very important to keep your people safe. First and foremost, you want people coming to work um, safe and going home safe. I think that's kind of the bottom line, um, you know, which which is, is imperative. So I think that was for us to make sure that we, you know, we were getting mixed messages, you know, because we're obviously you work across different states. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to you had to be consistent and uh, make sure that that was kind of, um, you know, the, the mantra there. Um, I have to call out our RDNA team because they come in every day. Yes. Um, we obviously had segregation um, in the building and we segregated the building. Um, we had different teams working together, but with social distancing, all of that. So all the protocols were in place. 
um, when the RDNA team and some of the other teams came in and were exemplary how they kept things going. We also were very <clears throat> fortunate that we talked to our customers all the time, even though, um, you know, some of them were at home, a lot of them were at home. You know, whether it was getting samples over to their houses or things like that, everybody... Everybody has everybody's home together. address let's, now. Let's, <laughs> let's keep, yeah. And and uh, as you said, look, we had we helped our neighbours, we had customers, some of them went out of masks, we sent masks, you know, we made sure we had enough for ourselves, but, you know, we helped as many people as we could, but we kept... We kept the supply chain going. Um, we kept product going into our customers um, so they could keep it on the shelves for consumers and for their customers. So, Did you do anything to keep the team united? I mean, look, we, we, we kind of said to the RDNA team, we're going to give you lunch every day. It's the least we could <laughs> Little do. Little things like that. Yeah. Yeah. That meant a lot to them. Um, you know, I... I had a personal situation where my wife had gone back to Ireland. She couldn't get back in because of, so I was three months over here. So I used to go to the office every day um, myself. She couldn't know, get back in for three months? She couldn't get back in for three months because of the visa situation. It was kind oh. of all up in the air at the time. Nobody um, processing them yeah, probably. And, oh. Yeah, so embassies were shot, all of that kind of thing. So it was kind of tough. But um, yeah, look, you, you know, staying in touch with people. how old were your kids at that time then? Um, they were back in Ireland. So oh, they were with yeah, her in Ireland. My, my, my wife was with the two kids because they were, one was in college and one was actually working. So their office in college was shut down. So they were, they were all together. Gotcha. That's good. Well, that's yeah, good. At least they were, yeah. That was, that was, I was happy once they were all together. I didn't mind. But, you know, you had to make sure you had to extra communicate to people because, you weren't meeting them in the corridor. You weren't able to drop into their office. So you had to, you know, get back using the phone. Right. Um, I think we fell into a bad habit of conference calls and yeah. Zooms and whatever else you want to you do. How is it for you guys returning to normal or whatever we're calling this now? I think it's been very good. I think our people have adopted very well. We're on a hybrid working um, at the moment, which is three days a week. Do they get to pick their three days or how does yeah that they kind of pick get to yeah. pick their three days you can probably guess what three they are tuesday wednesday <laughs> thursday <laughs> everybody's in on tuesday, yeah. um so yeah look it, it, it is that but look yeah i think we've adopted well the other thing is you know i think we did a lot of internal meetings we're cycling out of those and we're back very customer focused and thank god very right? externally i mean focused. those of yeah, us that love yeah, exactly. the customer relation it's, uh, and I, think I missed the, that tremendously the sales team have been you know exceptional and how they've pivoted that way as well, because it was tough for them as well at home. I, I would say that, and it's it's about keeping contact with people, keeping connectivity, um, you know. So I think that was that was the most important important thing that that I that I learned. You know, if, if you're not meeting people regularly, face to face, get on the phone, talk to them, you know, yes. keep people up to date with what's going on. I mean, that was on. silver linings. I do, but you know, the what you're mentioning was. Definitely some silver linings to the whole experience. We started doing all company forums monthly and just making and and ended up realizing that it was a really good format. We used to do them in, you know, a big room and then the other locations would have to call in like Mexico and Ireland. And this kind of leveled the playing field that now everybody was calling in. So they weren't like the outsiders and and the chat box thing yeah. was wild, hysterical often. But that was unity in itself of the people just being able to, they were just joking around and talking in that and trying to get people to talk in a real live setting was like pulling teeth. Yeah, look, the chat function is obviously a big indicator of how engaged how people, people are with yes. what you're doing. And uh, 
and how they're doing emotionally totally. even you know that yeah. was whether they're motivated or whatever and mm-hmm. we, we we did a lot of that as well just like you were saying and we did monitor the chat box and input ourselves into the chat box right. to make sure you, you know and and you also have to recognition is very important yes in these people do go above and beyond um in these circumstances people do do a lot more i mean we had some of our salespeople that put product in the boot of their car and drove it to the customers or the trunk, as you say. I right? love the boot. I love that. <laughs> boot sale. <laughs> so, um, and, and, you know, you have to recognize that and make sure that you're continually recognizing the efforts people go to. Right. It's a small thing, but it's a big thing for them. And when they recognized each other, we had a, a moment, uh, one of our guys started this uh, fund of the gas money he was saving and then had, you know, told everybody in the company and, Ended up getting a couple thousand dollars, and that went to all the operations people and, and the R and D people that were in. And he wrote hand notes to each of them. It was beautiful. It was and colleague to colleague, I, I loved that. I think it brought the best out of people. Really, I think so you know? too. So Oliver, do you see a difference in recognition expectation based on generations or what age they are? Yeah, I I, I would say maybe, and I'm not sure. I don't want to stigmatize anybody here, but I would say maybe recognition wasn't a big part of maybe the older generation. I would agree. Um, and I would say you might they, get a pat on the back yeah, if you're you lucky. Yeah, might get a pat on the back every five years. Yes. Um, but but I think what's what's uh, it's what's more important now is for the millennials, and uh, I do think that people do need to feel appreciated, and you can appreciate people in different ways than a pat on the back as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we do what we call the Inspire Awards every quarter where we, we pick a team or we pick an individual for for doing some really, you know, I would say good things, whether it's in the community, whether it's in the business. Um, and we, we take time out. And I would say one thing that we, we would always use to start our management meetings with the financials, we now start and talk about people. Nice. It's been a big change, but it's been the right change for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk about people all the time at the start and you know we, we we decide the nominees and agree and align as a as a team and then every quarter we we would have a webcast and we would obviously talk about their achievements and what they've done and present the awards mm-hmm. live in front of the you know the north american uh, Kerry community so that's, that's been very idea. good for us we've got great feedback um but there's been some great recipients as well so i would say that's and that's the tricky part, I would say, and it has to be obviously authentic. And the level, the bar has to be high enough. Exactly. And that's, I, I, I love it. But I know that we, we do some of that too. And sometimes we're like, that. that's just their job. It has to be. No, it has to be something. Something yeah, very say. outstanding exceptional. and exceptional. So what do you think in terms of, um, of that, you know, of the millennials and Gen Zs, what are they looking for? Like what motivates them? And obviously, I, I think I go back still, Lorette, to purpose. I purpose think purpose. Uh, money? You know, do you think money is a big motivator? It is, obviously, but it's maybe not as big as you would think it is. Um, well, what I feel, money is. I mean, obviously, um, I would say a lot of between property inflation, housing inflation, mm-hmm. food inflation, everything, I would say that, you know, maybe some of the salaries have not kept pace with that um so it is important to them but i say purpose mo- being motivated being part of a company that has a, you know let's say 
steeped in sustainability and, you know, ESG, gives something back to the community. They see a career tra trajectory for them um, and they feel appreciated, I'd say, is, is as important as maybe the, mm -hmm. you know, the monetary, um, the monetary values that, you know, that comes with the role. So I think that's very important and I, I just don't think people should lose sight of that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, they're not as loyal as maybe, right. you know, uh, previous, let's say, generations. They're not as loyal. I read something, I think it was a LinkedIn study, 70% um, of the men and women in that generation are looking to leave in the next year the job that they're in, 70%. It's a high do turnover you, rate. Do yeah. you feel that at Kerry? I, I don't see that at Kerry, mm. um, to be honest with you. I think and well, maybe the good. graduate program helps that. Right. Um, a certain amount. I think we do do a better job on maybe, you know, the appreciative exposing them. Mm. Um, you and know. the freedom. I mean, the, that, I mean, if I was that age, I'd be loving all the travel you could do with care, you know, all the different locations you could probably work at if you really wanted to. No, that's, that's true. That's true. I mean, yeah, look, geographic relocation or whatever um, is, you know, is very important people. I'd say millennials and Gen Zs like that. There's no question mm -hmm. about that. They like to be involved in projects as well, that maybe significant projects at the company, whether it's, you know, a CapEx or a marketing program or something like that that's very focused and has a timeline on it. And mm -hmm. I think so. Make an impact. Yeah, where they can see an impact pretty quickly. So, Oliver, what advice would you give a young person that's just entering into the, to the workforce now? My advice would be make sure you understand the role you're going into mm -hmm. and what's required of it and what good looks like in it. Um, because I think if, if you can do what good looks like, then you'll progress. Um, I would also you know, make sure that they have a regular cadence of meetings with their line manager to get that feedback and to make sure, you know, that they're on the same train of thought and they're progressing the way they should be because I think sometimes that's that doesn't happen as much as maybe it could or it should um, but it's very important. I like that important. point of that they should take the initiative because yeah. some of us get really busy and we might not exactly. do that enough and that they really you know we need to chat make sure I'm on the right path you know I think that's good advice. And what you might think is that they're fine oh sure I met them a couple of weeks back it's clear whatever there may be something there that there isn't and then you know, maybe having other people check in with them as well is very important so that they build a bit of a network pretty quickly. So advising them to maybe get involved in something that's work related, whether it's a, you know, I don't know, a sports club or some initiative that they, that there is going on in the business that they can start to network and, you know, meet peers and uh, share stories, feedback, whatever. So, um, you know, they broaden their they broaden their network a bit. I would encourage people to get a broader network. Especially after on. COVID and like we were talking about and coming back into the office and that human connection and really making the most of that and embracing that seems like very good advice. So, Oliver, what do you think the legacy is that the generation of Gen Zs and millennials would like to leave behind? I think... They'd like to make sure they lived the purpose yeah. of the organization. I think they'd like to, you know, ensure that 
the company met its purpose and its mission, um, I would think they would want that they had evolved the company in the right direction as well with talent, uh, diversity, inclusion, sustainability, um, sustainability, um, making sure people work, bringing themselves to work, very comfortable bringing themselves to work. Um, And, uh, you know, I'd say maybe there's probably more on the way in terms of digitalization, uh, automation, all of those things that I think, you know, bringing technology into the business more. Yeah, that AI stuff is amazing. It was a lot of topic at FEMA. There was uh, many people were talking about it there. And yeah, and hopefully we can use its power for the good ethically. And that could be really powerful. So what is the legacy that you think our generation, in terms of like food heroes in our food industry, what, what would you like our generation of leaders to accomplish in our industry? Yeah, I think um, I think it's nice to give something back, first of all. I mean, um, when I'm thinking of myself, I, I'm i on the IFMA board here. I know you're on the FEMA board. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, The IFMA board is probably more food service related, but... You know, I, I, I like the people that are on the board. I, That's I always it's, helpful. <laughs> it's it's very helpful. I think, you know, I, I joined at a time when six or seven individuals joined as well. Um, the board is a great, it's not a lobby, lobbying board or anything like that. We talk about the issues in the industry and what's coming down the line. What are the challenges? You know, how do we influence them? It's really about the food away from home ecosystem. Um, and... Uh, and being on a board is such service. It's it of is. service. And it's a lot of work. And definitely you do it for the passion of the board that Absolutely. you're on. You do it for the passion of the board that you're on and you do it for the people and you do it for your, you know, for the industry. Exactly. Because it's nice to give something back to the industry. And even though it is, you know, on top of your own job, which can be demanding and challenging, it is nice to be able to give something back from that perspective and be part of a tenure of business people that are giving something back and maybe paving the way for the future of what the food away from home ecosystem means mm-hmm. for, you know, operators, um, manufacturers, operators and consumers. Um, and that's and that's kind of the, the discussions we have. Um, as regards, I think, I think this generation has been good in what sustainability means from a planet, from the planet perspective. I think mm-hmm. this generation will with all the work that's going on, um, it's hard to quantify, but I think we will hand the planet over to the next generation, um, probably in better condition than, than we, got it. we got it or, mm-hmm. you know, was thought out at maybe previous generations. I think that's very important. Um, I think ways of working, sim- simplification on ways of working, things like that, um, how we do things, you know, there is a lot of technology there. Um, I think is, and, and I also think maybe training development is at a higher level now than it would have been, and say by more generation, making sure people have an an engagement, um, appreciation, recognition, all of those things. I think, I think the standard has lifted mm-hmm. uh, across across the industry. It had to, um, but I think I think it has. So I think they're they're kind of the the big areas I would call out. Mm-hmm. Creativity. Yeah. I think people are allowed to be a little more thought leadership box, thought leadership yeah. yeah okay so what's the legacy that you would like to leave behind personally um, 
To be honest with you, it's something I hadn't really thought about until you asked me (laughs) (laughs) to come here. Maybe there's a couple of things. One is I'd like to feel that I made a difference um, and the team to the Kerry business here in North America in in my tenure and over my tenure with, with Kerry. The second thing is I'd like to feel I developed, attracted and developed talent has come into the organization that go on and hopefully be the leaders of the future. And then the third thing I would say is what I said earlier there, just about giving something back. I'd like mm-hmm. to feel I was part of a generation that gave something back and um, in some shape or form, and that's been part of initiatives from an industry perspective, a broad industry perspective, or maybe a board, um, right. which which I, I am today. So they're kind I really of, appreciated your um, participation in Female Strong. And yeah, that, absolutely. I mean, that's... Uh, and having a daughter, I'm sure that is that is that your why? And uh, and you have so many women, probably and young women. Yeah, that, yeah. huge part of our population. But um, I, I, we do. I do have a son and daughter. And I, and we always say that we'd like our daughter to have the Right. Which is very important. It does, and I think some of the statistics that. Emily will share at Female Strong a lot of of these young girls their confidence just so drops at like from 6th to 8th grade and and how that changes like that mindset just there's some like switch that goes off. Yeah, I mean my eyes were opened that evening to oh, good. the entrepreneurialism that was around the room and yeah. one or two of those individuals have reached out to to me and uh, I've put them in contact with people in Kerry who hopefully can Oh that's Awesome. So, See, I uh, love yeah, that. So I was, I was delighted for the invite. Thank you very much. I'm and, so uh, glad you came. It is, it's so cool to see it. And their confidence, really, when they're presenting, most of them is really good. Yeah. I'm sure that takes a lot of practice to get there. But yeah, I agree with you. I think that's, um, that's a great legacy, you know, making a difference in people's lives. Well, thank you very much for joining me. It's right. been a really nice conversation. And I think our Appreciate listeners it. are going to get a lot, of, a lot of value and a lot of things they can take away, which is always the goal. I hope so. Thank you for the invite. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Owning Your Legacy. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with others and rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about me and how I am owning my legacy, you can find me on Instagram at Lorette Rondonet and online at LoretteRondonet.com. Until next time.